Good morning, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. Hope you're all doing well on this Thursday. We're into the month of November. Halloween has come and gone. Home stretch to 2024. And we have a lot, a lot to talk about today. So much breaking news yesterday. A number of firings. We have some benchings. We have a new World Series champion. And a really forgetful World Series. The first college football rankings were out. Watched some fun NBA last night. Oklahoma City, New Orleans, two teams I liked. I thought it was an entertaining game. The Raptors beat the Bucs, and the Bucs do not look good. They are not set yet as a team. They will have time, but again, a rough outing for Milwaukee on the road. We're going to start in the NHL, and we're going to the nation's capital, Ottawa, where yesterday we learned that the Ottawa Senators would be stripped of a first-round pick in either 2024, 2025, or 2026 for a trade they made two years ago. 2021, the Ottawa Senators traded Evgeny Dodonov, who oddly enough scored a goal for the Dallas Stars last night, to the Vegas Golden Knights. When they traded Dodonov to Vegas, they did not inform Vegas of his no trade of the teams that he had on his list. So a year later, Vegas was looking to offload players. They had a deal in place done. Dodonov was going to the Anaheim Ducks. He was going to be a deadline salary dump. And that was it. But the deal was actually voided because after the deal was done, it's processed, everything, it's perfect. We learned that Dodonov had Anaheim on his no trade list. So the deal could not go through his 10 team no trade. Again, why you give no trade clauses to bit pieces, I will never understand, but teams continue to do it, much to my chagrin. So Vegas says, what the hell? We think this deal should be done. We didn't know about this information. And the NHL, because they move at a snail's pace, took this long to come up with this decision. So this is kind of like the deal with Matt Duchesne, with Colorado, if you recall, where Ottawa had a couple years to make their mind up on what, what year they wanted to give Colorado. Their first-round pick ended up being Bowen Byram, who went to Colorado, who was a pretty good defenseman. But they will now lose a first-rounder in either this year's draft, next, or 2026. And I think it will depend on how the team does in the next couple of years to figure out when they want to give up that draft pick. If they're picking in the top five, if they're picking in the top ten, they're going to retain that pick because it's too valuable. If they have a successful year this year, they make the postseason, maybe you will give up your first rounder because you're in a good spot and it's not a desirable pick. But after we learn this, we also hear that with this news, with the Shane Pinto debacle, with a lot of things that have happened in Ottawa, obviously there was an ownership change that was approved in September. Michael Ann Lauer 
is now the owner of the Ottawa Senators, succeeding Eugene Melnick, who passed away a number of years ago. Michael Anlauer, in his first big decision, fired Pierre Dorian. Pierre Dorian was the general manager for eight seasons. He made the playoffs once. A conference final run where the Senators were a double overtime goal away from making the Stanley Cup final back in 2017, but 2017 was a long fucking time ago. So Michael Anlauer met the media, and I actually think he was transparent to a certain extent, and I'll get behind his some of the bullshit he talked about, but I thought he was good. He said, I don't know why this is happening now. Completely agree with him. Why this took this long. Why it was this drawn out. The NHL. He says, why is this on my lap? They knew about Shane Pinto weeks ago. They might have known about Shane Pinto before the season started. Before he was approved as an owner. He goes, these two things thrown on my lap in the last two weeks. Don't know why it took that long. Agree with him. And I, I applaud him for calling out Gary Bettman because you're the owner and he works for you and you have every right to do it just because you've been in, in the club for five minutes. Doesn't matter. You're in the club. You're in the club. He's, he's an owner. He's one of 32 in the NHL. So I, I appreciate that sentiment. Here's where I come in and I, I try to help. I try to, you guys got lives, you're busy. I like to cut through the shit. Just just cut the shit, right? That's what I do best. So he goes, yeah, this incident really didn't sit well with me. And amongst other things, key phrase, that's a direct quote, by the way, led to Pierre resigning, which we've been through is a cover-up for I'm firing you, but I'm going to let you resign so it makes you look better, even though I don't think it does. But anyway, Pierre Dorian resigns. Lie, number one. He was fired by Michael Ann Lauer yesterday. But Pierre is gone. Steve Steos, who Ann Lauer made president of hockey operations in September, now becomes the interim GM. Here's what yesterday did. Was it a pain on the Ottawa Senators organization? Absolutely. You don't want to lose a first-round pick ever because it's such a crapshoot. You never know who's going to turn into a good player. You could pick a guy at 22, and he could turn out to be great. There's a lot of middle-teen first-rounders that turn out to be stars. Just watch David Pasternak in Boston for an example, or Andre Vasilevsky. So... Yes, it's a pain. It's a nuisance. It's something you don't want to happen to your organization. However, Michael Anlauer just became the owner. And Pierre Doran was GM for eight years. And they made the playoffs once, 2017, as I already pointed out. So it's 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. We're almost done 2023. Less than two months. So that's a long time without making the playoffs. Extended rebuild. The death of Eugene Melnick, in my opinion, saved Pierre Dorian his job for a lot of these things because they didn't have anybody making decisions. 
So Michael Landlauer was going to fire, was going to relieve, was going to let Pierre Dorian walk, for lack of a better term, after this year. Pierre Dorian does not have a contract after this season. And I believe even if the Senators had made the playoffs, Pierre Doran would not have gotten an extension. Because these owners, number one, have huge egos. And number two, want to hire their own people. Steve Steos is an Ann Lauer guy. Maybe Steve Steos hires somebody he knows. He's familiar with. He doesn't know Pierre. This relationship was never going to work. It was never going to last. He was a placeholder. And when something like this falls on your lap, you go, we're already having a negative PR day. Why not just get rid of a bad PR day in the future and just do it now? See a Pierre Dorian. I don't think Ottawa Senators fans loved him. So this isn't really that sad of a day. It's a sad enough existence to be an Ottawa Senators fan on, on any given day. So what's the difference? So this wasn't a resigning. This was, this was always going to happen. Always. Here's another thing. The Ottawa Senators head coach, DJ Smith, also his contract's up after this year. Ottawa's got a lot of injuries. Right now, they return to the ice tonight against Los Angeles. They've had a 500 start. I think they're happy with that. I think they can be a playoff team. I still do. They have a good nucleus of players. But I'm going to make this opinion now, and I'm going to stick to it. If the Ottawa Senators, even if they make the playoffs, they make the playoffs, even if they win a round, DJ Smith will not be returning as a head coach. And you might be thinking, well, there's no way. I mean, he has that kind of success. You have to bring him back. No, you don't. Kyle Dubas didn't return to Toronto. Peter Laviolette didn't return. Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. He went to Long Island. You can frame it as, well, we couldn't just agree on terms. Or we just didn't see a fit. We didn't agree on things. I don't even think they'd offer Pierre, uh, sorry, DJ Smith a contract. It'd just be, this is the decision. You're going to accept it. We'll give you a great letter of recommendation. And DJ Smith will probably go back to being an assistant coach somewhere because I think that's probably what he's best at. This is a year of hoping for the best for the Senators. We want to make the playoffs. We want to have success. But for GM, for coach, I don't think they could do anything to save the respective jobs. Because this is not how it works for these owners. They don't care. That's not the prerogative. They... They would look past success to bring in their own people. Maybe DJ Smith will stay. I'll be shocked. 
shocked. He'll coach out the year. They're not going to fire him. But when the year's over and there's a lot of candidates available and Ann Lauer might be willing to spend more money than Eugene Melnick and bring in somebody with pedigree, somebody he likes, he will do it. Yesterday was was an embarrassing day for Ottawa, no doubt about it. But it's not the end of days. It's not the worst thing in the world. It doesn't affect your season this year at all. It affects a draft pick in the future. And Pierre Dorian made a lot of mistakes when he was in Ottawa. The return on Eric Carlson can only be framed as a disaster. He didn't get anything in that deal that has turned out to be a great NHL player, prospect, anything. The panic trade of Mark Stone, and Mark Stone goes on to win a Stanley Cup as the captain of the Vegas Golden Knights, I view as a colossal failure. His inability to bring a goaltender to Ottawa with any kind of pedigree, with any sort of winning, year after year, failing to find anybody that could play goal. While seeing Phil Gustafson, trading him to Minnesota and watching him blossom into a number one goaltender for a playoff team in, in, uh, in Minnesota. He's not horrible at the job, but he's not great at the job. This trade was a mass the, the Donoff debacle. It's what it was. It was the it was a debacle. You made mistakes. You you were messy. And it got thrown back at you. For the Senators. Just focus on the on-ice product. The Eastern Conference is interesting because I don't think there's an elite team yet in the bunch. Carolina's been very average. The Toronto Maple Leafs have not been impressive to me to start the year. Their best players are are putting up points nightly-ish. But just pivoting to that, I'm watching the Leaf game on Tuesday. And you can can say it was a scheduled loss because you just had a road trip and it's your first game back at home. Okay. I'll give you it. They did have two days off to come back from Nashville. Not exactly a long flight, Nashville to Toronto, but okay, I'll I'll give you that one. Anaheim won after a road trip out east last night against Arizona at home, but hey, hey it's just it, just uh, just just saying, just saying, with less days off. But again, I digress. Sheldon Keefe is an interesting coach because he will put the pedal to the metal with his best players. 
And I can appreciate that. But it's an 82-game season, and Sheldon Keefe coaches. He's basically the anti-NBA. We're going to load manage. We're going to watch your minutes. We're not going to keep you out there too long. He says, fuck it. Hey, Mitch, you're playing 28 tonight. And Austin, you're playing 30. And he just runs through the best players on the team, and they play huge minutes. But when they're not producing and there's not a whole lot of chemistry and the depth of the Maple Leafs aren't producing, you have trouble. Toronto's going to be a I'm not is going to be a playoff team easily. I'm not panicking on them. These observations are always about the postseason with them and where it's going to go. William Nylander's been their best player. In the month of October. No, it's not even close. Austin Matthews scored six goals in his first two games. He's been okay since. William Nylander's been good every game this year. He's had a point in every game. He's had the best start to his season. Just points in a row in Maple Leaf history. I think John Tavares has had a very good start to the season. Better than I expected. Mitch Marner of the... Best players on this team has been the most disappointing because I actually think Morgan Riley has been pretty good and I'm usually hard on him because I think he's overvalued and people prop him up because he plays on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's been very strong and Brody settled in and that's, that's worked. But I don't see a dynamic Mitch Marner. I don't see a guy that's tenacious on pucks. That's the driver of the team. That's the engine, if you will. It's what he was last year. Him and Matthews, the chemistry, gone. Just not there. And this isn't just a Tuesday night where they had 10 shots with seven minutes left in the second period. They just, they've been kind of lethargic all season long. I watched Sheldon Keith putting Marner and Matthews out on the penalty kill. And while I think Matthews is very good at the penalty kill and Marner's always been very good, are you gassing them out? Are they playing too many minutes? They have enough players on this team who don't create anything offensively. The fourth line of the Maple Leafs really doesn't. They don't do much to facilitate, to create, to do anything like that, right? Looking through the team, Nyes has had that really great game against Tampa. Since then, he's been quiet. Gregor, Holmberg, Ryan Reeves. People love him. Throws hits occasionally when he can catch people. And he's a big guy and he can fight when you need him to fight. But he's a liability on the ice. He's too slow. He's not engaged. He doesn't help your team win. He doesn't do anything productive. He's not even, he doesn't play the penalty kill. He plays six to eight minutes a night. And should he be guaranteed an every night player? No way. No how.
Max Domi had a spurt where he played better hockey. But if your best players are going to be your best players, which they should be, they can't be the go-to guys on the penalty kill and the power play and five-on-five. It's just not going to work. McDavid doesn't play the penalty kill. Or he doesn't play a minute and ten seconds on the penalty kill. Because what the Leafs guys do is they get the puck and they don't ice it. They try to score a goal and then you have to come back and defend and then they change. Which is a lot more energy and you're on the ice longer and you don't realize it but it catches up to you. You might see from the Maple Leafs a desperation call up. A guy like Nick Robertson. Still in the American League, still might bring something to the table. Their goaltending's not a problem. I mean, they have Jake McCabe is banged up on the back end. They have to play Lagos and Giordano's playing too many minutes. And good on him at 40 years old. But that's never going to work. We all know it. They need help, and they'll get help in their defense by the trade deadline. I'm certain of it. But if they do not have depth scoring, if you don't have players on your team to trust to put on the penalty kill, because as as uninspiring as Alex Kerfoot was, He at least could play the penalty kill, and he took those minutes. Sheldon Keefe is not going to put Max Domi on a penalty kill. He's not going to put Ryan Reeves on a penalty kill. He doesn't seem to want to put uh, Noah Gregor on the penalty kill. Matthews, Marner, then you throw Yarncroke and Camp. I don't want my two best players as the go-to two penalty killers on penalty kill one. Last 30 seconds, maybe throw them out there. I think Matthews, again, brings something to the table. He's tenacious on pucks, and you love that ability. You love his stick to that he brings. But sometimes the penalty kill is just about putting the puck down the ice. Sounds simplistic, puck possession, all this new stuff in the game of hockey. Sometimes you're tired. Just get the puck down the ice and change. Sounds crazy. I know. But occasionally, that's just what you have to do to to save your bacon. Lease Bruins tonight at the TD Garden. Bruins announced Matthew Poitra, the 19-year-old, is going to remain with the team through the season. As I said on Tuesday, Charlie McAvoy, game one of his four-game suspension for that hit to the head to Oliver ekman Larson. Boston has not had a regulation loss yet, so Toronto has the opportunity to give it to them tonight. See if I don't know if they've announced the starting goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs yet. I look at the game Tuesday, two of the. The first two goals, not Joseph Wall's fault, I'll tell you that. 
Samsonov's the expected starter, but nothing confirmed yet for either team. Both teams have not played since Lee's played Tuesday. Bruins played on Monday. So they've both had time to kind of figure this out. The Bruins are still the measuring stick for teams in the Eastern Conference for right now. I don't think Boston is going to be a powerhouse in the East by the end of the season. But when you're 8-0-1 after the month of October, you're the best team in the East and you've completely shown it to everybody, you earn that respect. They had the best regular season in the history of hockey last year. Obviously a bad flame out in the playoffs. But as of, as of now, you look like a threat. You play like a threat. You still have the aura of a great team. No Lucic. We likely won't get any Lucic-Reeves shenanigans tonight. Maybe the Bruins still have some tough guys, but... For me, I want to see, I don't know how much longer Marner and Matthews are going to stay together. I think part of the problem with them with their chemistry is they don't have a line mate that complements them well. Carly Yarncroke is not a guy that is a top-line winger. He doesn't play the style of a Bunting or of a Hyman that, or a Connor Brown that suited those two players. That was grunt work, get to the puck, go in the corners, get to the front of the net, and just be put on your hard hat and go to work. Yarncrow kind of wants to be a goal scorer, wants to be a star while also being a penalty killer. He's a tweener, and he brings value, but I don't think he fits with those two players. Bertuzzi, they have him playing with, with Tavares and Nylander, He's been okay. They keep saying he's banged up, but if he's banged up, but he's still playing in the games, why is he on the top line if that's where you want him to be? That's confusing to me. Domi's a third liner, and Nyes is the player that I think they view as the, the long-term option up there. I just don't know if it's going to be this year. He has spurts. I like his work ethic. He had an awesome third period against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But from what I've seen, do I think he can play top-line winger minutes night in, night out for 70 games? No, I don't. I think they kind of know that, and if they throw him up there right now, the genie's out of the bottle, and it's kind of hard to put it back in. For Boston, they just find ways to win. Pavel Zaka, Matthew Poitra, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Carlo, phenomenal goaltender. They bring in new pieces, you lose center Iceman, and you still find ways to be productive. Credit to them. Toronto played the team with the best center ice in hockey on Tuesday night. And they struggled. Because you look at Kopitar, you look at PLD, and you look at uh, Dano, 
and they didn't have an answer for them. They couldn't match them, and it, it was a mismatch of epic proportions. Tavares, Matthews, you have the look tonight. Top two centers, McAvoy, or sorry, uh, Coyle and Poitra, really. That's an advantage for you. Jake McCabe's out on the Toronto defense. Well, Charlie McAvoy's the best defenseman on the Boston Bruins. You have an advantage there. I think we'll get an entertaining game. Both these teams like playing each other. They usually get up for them. It's in the TD Gardens. You're guaranteed a, a loud, crazy environment. There'll be a lot of Leaf fans there. That's a fun matchup on a Thursday. After the month of October into November, the Vancouver Canucks are the best team out West for Canadian, for the Canadian teams. As we currently stand, the Canucks are better than the Flames and the Canucks are better than the Oilers. And that's not just based on points for me. I test, you watch the games, the Vancouver Canucks are playing good hockey. They have more balance than either of the two teams I just mentioned. Elias Pettersson's been phenomenal to start the year in a contract year. JT Miller's been really solid. Carson Soucy is signing I liked. Thatcher Demko or Casey DeSmith, quite frankly. He's been very good. And Quinn Hughes has arguably been, he's right up there with Kale McCarr as the best defenseman in the sport, in the first month. He got stronger. He's still a great skater. He's making smarter decisions. He is maturing right before our eyes as a hockey player, which is great to see. And the Oilers have a higher ceiling because you look and you have McDavid and you have Leon Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins, who was a 100-point guy last year, and Evan Bouchard, who was the best slap shot in the league but can't defend a lick. The Edmonton Oilers are the team that can get that can be better than Vancouver. But Rick Tockett has this team playing a certain way. And if Thatcher Demko is healthy the whole year and Pedersen is playing like one of the best players in the sport, which he should be because he is, the Vancouver Canucks can be that playoff team that maybe we didn't expect. The Seattle Kraken, despite the fact that they won on Monday night, have been underwhelming to start the year. Although they do have more points than the Edmonton Oilers. But they've already played 10 games. They're struggling to score goals. They're missing pieces. Goaltending has been an issue. But you look at it. Vancouver has played one more game than Edmonton. They have eight more points. They have more points than the Kings. Than the Ducks, who have been red hot. And are only behind Vegas in the Pacific. They have almost as many points as the Dallas Stars. More points in the wild, obviously. 
and the Coyotes. They have been a great team out of the gate. I'm just impressed because I didn't expect to see a team this good and this they're they're fun to watch this team. Philip Peronix really helped. He's playing 23 to 24 minutes a night. A great trade. Carson Soucy, he can play 17 18 minutes and he plays those minutes and you don't know he's there. Perfect. Anthony Bavillier, kind of a throw-in. I always liked him because I think he plays hard. Sam Lafferty, a guy you get from the Leafs, he's doing his job. And Elias Pettersson's the biggest factor. He's got 16 points in nine games, which is good enough for second in the National Hockey League. You can look at it and say, well, they beat Nashville on Tuesday and they have the worst team in the NHL tonight in San Jose. But they beat they beat Edmonton twice already. So far this year, let's look at it here. Beat the Oilers twice, lose an OT to the Lightning. Beat the Panthers, beat the Preds, shut out the Blues, OT Rangers, and beat the Preds. Other than a skunk against the Flyers, where they're dreadful, they've looked good in every game. You get San Jose tonight. That's a good one. Then you get their next stretch. I think they got a, a stretch of games here where they need to this is a, a benchmark. You host Dallas on Saturday. Host the Oilers for the third time in a month. Woof. Schedule. Go to Ottawa. Go to Toronto. Go to Montreal. So a little East Coast swing. Not that there's tough teams in Canada. But to get through that, to, to go through that part of the country and to play well and to be sustainable... Goaltending is the great elixir, and when you have two really good defensemen, it helps you. They, they've never had that with Quinn Hughes. Tyler Myers is not the number two guy anymore. This team still has to show more for me to really truly buy in, but I can buy into Hughes the way he's, I can buy into Pedersen, but I'll tell Vancouver, give him whatever money he wants. Do not let him walk out the door. You do not want to lose this guy. He's a franchise guy. He's a potential Hart Trophy player. I think Pedersen's the type of player. He could be nominated for the Selkie and nominated for the Hart in the same year. Because he does both so well. He's a better Kopitar. And Kopitar's a multiple-time Stanley Cup champion. So that's telling you something. But they're an impressive bunch to start. You're going to lose games to bad teams. It happens every year. Toronto loses to Nashville on a Saturday. Uh, Colorado gets crushed by the Buffalo Sabres on a, on a Sunday afternoon. 
There's games you look at and go, God, what happened there? What you want to do is limit those bad losses. And when you're a team like Vancouver, who are playing around the edges, who I don't think have a lot of wiggle room, aren't better than Vegas, aren't better than the Los Angeles Kings, can you be better than the Oilers? Can you be better than Seattle? Than Calgary? Can you stay ahead of those teams and then maybe you're third in your own division? You're a wild card team. You're a playoff team. The Vancouver Canucks could make the playoffs this year. It would be a bigger surprise for me than Ottawa making it because I, th- I didn't have Vancouver there. I think a lot of people, even in, including me, look at the team and goes, they still need more rebuild time. And it's only November. It's a long, long way to go. But sometimes you just you look at the way they play and you go, that's sustainable. That can work over 82. That will translate and you're going to be fine. I like the way they play hockey. Like Anaheim. I don't know if Anaheim's style will will work. But it's fun right now. They won another game last night. They beat Arizona. Troy Terry got a hat trick. They're winning games. They've won four of the last five, three of them in overtime, and, and one of them was with that Mason McTavish goal that we talked about on Monday. All one score games and it's going their way. That will pivot. But they're six and four after ten games. Didn't have that. And it's funny because they're load managing Leo Carlson, but he's got eight goals and he's playing Logan Cooley last night who got his first NHL goal. He looks good. But McTavish has been great. Troy Terry with a hat trick and an assist. They're a fun story. I don't know if they can sustain it long term. The Flames can't. They're in big trouble. Losing again last night. Huberto wasn't on the ice to end the game when they're trying to tie it. Ottinger was just wonderful for Dallas. 43 saves on 46 shots. Dallas shouldn't have won the game, but they did. Calgary gives up a shorthanded goal. Go one for five on the power play. You know, was Connor Zary scored his first NHL game. We talked about this on Tuesday. Calgary is in a spot right now where they need to figure out where they're going and who they are as a team. Because I don't think they're going to win many games. And Jonathan Huberto has five points after ten games. And for all the old heads out there, he's a minus 11, which isn't good. I don't know if this is going to get any better for the Calgary Flames. Talk about they're, they're a product you look at and go, eh, I don't know. 
Just not going to work out, I don't think. Kadri and Huberto are still locked up. And those are problems. And Markstrom's there. And Anderson and new GM and Craig Conroy. He's got a tough job. It doesn't work out. First-year head coach, Ryan Huska. Good luck, buddy. Other NHL news, Nick Backstrom announced yesterday that he is leaving the Washington Capitals, leaving the team to deal with, with an injury. He's had problems with his hip for a long time. He had resurfacing surgery this past year, and apparently it hasn't just not been working. Doesn't feel comfortable. Doesn't feel good when he's playing. And he's got to get that worked on. Nick Bat, you don't like I don't like saying this because you don't want to tell anybody what to do in life. But Nick Backstrom should retire. Nick Backstrom is a great NHLer, a great Washington Capital, the yin to Alex Ovechkin's yang, Stanley Cup champion. He's had a great career. But his body just simply can't do it anymore. And I, I applaud him for wanting to continue to play, to continue to fight, not wanting to end his career. But you watch him, he's not the same player anymore. He's up there in age. He's been through wars. He's played a ton of hockey. If I was advising him, I'd tell him, Nick, it's done. It's just, we're done here. He's 35, which doesn't sound that old, but it, what he's he'll be 36 November 23rd, so in less than a month. He's played in a... 1,105 NHL games, which is no small feat. Over 1,000 points, 1,033 points in those 11,000 games. Hell of a career. 100, over, if you count the playoff games, he's played almost 1,300 games in the NHL. 114 points in 139 playoff games. That's damn good, too. And he's got 14 points in 13 World Junior Championship games. He's a fringe Hall of Famer. He might be a Hall of Famer when his career ends. He's that close. Been productive for a really long time. But again, you go through the wars... He's not a big guy to begin with and to play as many games as he did to be as productive. He's underappreciated for how good he was in his prime playing with Ovechkin. How dominant those teams were in the regular season in the uh, the late 2000s. 2000, 2008. 2009. When you look at Washington, you go, God, that team should have won a Stanley Cup. We won a President's Trophy. But you run into a Yarrow Halak, and then you run into a Carey Price, and you can't get by the Penguins. 
but eventually you battle through and all the way in 2018 where nobody expected you to get there, you beat you beat uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. You come back from 3-2 down against Tampa Bay Lightning. You win game 6 in Washington, you win game 7 in Tampa on the road, and then you beat Vegas and win the Stanley Cup in one of the most epic celebrations in pro sports history. Washington's an old bunch. That whole team seems to have creaky knees. They're not going to have a successful year. And Ovechkin's chasing Gretzky's goal record. And you love that. I think he's going to get it. I want him to get it because he's the best goal scorer of all time. But Backstrom is not built like Ovechkin. He was not built like a freight train. And I think his body's just telling him you can't do this anymore. In the press release, he said he's stepping away because of the injury. Maybe it's telling him you should just stay away because you can't do it anymore. No shame in it because you had a hell of a career. Jonathan Taves isn't playing this year because he can't anymore. Different circumstances, but again, similar ages, similar pedigrees, both champions, and eventually it's over. I hope Nick Backstrom gets to do whatever he wants. If he can come back and play, great. But if you're coming back to play and you have pain every time you step on the ice, there's no point in doing it. That's no fun for anybody. Nobody wants to see you go through that. But hopefully Nick Backstrom can be healthy for his children and for the rest of his life that his body just isn't in pain every day. That's that's what I hope for him. The NHL tonight, Panthers at the Red Wings, Hurricanes-Rangers, interesting game. Freddie Anderson still has not lost a start this season, 4-0 for the Hurricanes. Rangers are red hot coming off a western road swing, so we'll see if this is a scheduled loss for the Rangers, if that gets brought up tomorrow, if they lose. Kings and Senators, as we talked about, Corpus Allo was a member of the Los Angeles Kings, briefly, Last year, so he plays his former team. And also Cam Talbot was a member of the Ottawa Senators. So you got two two goaltenders that will play their old team tonight. Islanders, Capitals, Devils against the Wild. Dallas off a of back-to-back in Edmonton. Edmonton's first game since playing outdoors. Montreal in Arizona. Winnipeg in Vegas. Preds Kraken. And Canucks Sharks. So a very busy night in the NHL. Also last night, Colorado beat the St. Louis Blues. They hadn't played in a minute. They look good. They had lost two straight. People, I just you hear, you read some things. Oh, maybe they're not as good as we thought. Uh, they're still pretty good. 
Miko Rantanen's still a damn good, one of the best wingers in the game. And Nathan McKinnon's pretty good. And Kyle McCarr ain't bad. And Georgiev's in net. Nobody really knows who he is, but he's a pretty solid goaltender. Pretty good. Not bad. So Colorado improves to 7-2 and two with a win over St. Louis last night. Let's pivot to the NFL. Because Pierre Dorian was fired yesterday. But he was not the only GM let go. He was not the only shakeup. The Vegas Raiders played on Monday night. We talked about that game on Tuesday with Detroit, where Devontae Adams only had one catch. And it was a disaster, and he wants out of Vegas, but they won't trade him. But Tuesday night, while everybody was sleeping, Mark Davis made some moves. He fired his head coach, Josh McDaniels, and fired his general manager, Dave Ziegler. After eight games, a three and five start, both guys out in Tinseltown. Josh McDaniels is in the second year of a six year contract, so that means they have to pay him four more years to likely coach for another team, not as a head coach, but as a coordinator. He'll likely end up back in New England. Ziegler, I believe, had another two years left on his deal. So Vegas is still playing, still paying John Gruden and paying Josh McDaniels to not coach their team. The linebackers coach was named interim head coach for the Raiders. I view this as a positive thing. It was a mistake from the beginning to hire Josh McDaniels. He had been a coach once before in Denver, and he lasted a year and a half. And his his second stint head coach of Vegas, he lasts a year and a half. These Belichick assistants are not good head coaches. Romeo Cannell, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniels, they all stink. They all try to be Belichick, and it doesn't work. It's not even working for Belichick right now. What Josh McDaniels just said, let's bring in everybody from New England. Jacoby Myers, porn star Jimmy, Brandon Bolden. I believe they have nine players on the team that used to be New England Patriots. And how's that working for you? Their offense is so putrid because then yesterday, during the day, they fired offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi. So they're completely cleaning house. In the middle of the season, but the trade deadline passed and Devontae Adams is still there. So it's kind of a weird situation. He doesn't want to be there. Also last offseason, they signed Jimmy Garoppolo to a three-year, $70 million contract, and he was benched yesterday. For the remainder of the season, Aiden O'Connell... Fourth-round draft pick in last year's draft out of Purdue will be the starting quarterback for the Raiders. Jimmy's on the bench. Aiden O'Connell is in. So a change of philosophy, a change in eras, if you will, for Vegas. So they're paying people a lot of money to not work, really, with Jimmy and McDaniels, Ziegler, John Gruden. It's just it's something else. I 
I don't know what they do. Because Jimmy's contract, they'll have to get rid of. Whether they buy him out, they find a team to take it on, they eat some money. Because he's not going to want to stay there. If he's not going to start. Vegas had Derek Carr for a long time. You bring in a Band-Aid and Garoppolo who isn't as good as Derek Carr. And you expected better results. That makes no sense. You brought in a bad head coach. I think this is just a hunch. I think the Vegas Raiders are going to hire somebody just. College football right now, Michigan's under fire. Sign-stealing scandal. They're being investigated. Jim Harbaugh was going to get an extension from Michigan, but he wasn't now because they're being investigated. And it's a whole lot, whole lot going on. All while Michigan, to me, is the second best team in the country, and they very well could win the national championship this year if things go well. So there's that. If there, if he's going to be suspended, if there's going to be sanctions, anything. Jim Harbaugh has coached in the NFL before. He's been a successful head coach in the NFL. I think he's always wanted to come back. He flirted with the Vikings a couple years ago. And now it's just, okay, let's wait and see. Mark Davis likes to take big swings. Mark Davis hired John Gruden out of the booth to come coach the Raiders. And while it didn't work out, I don't think Mark Davis wanted to fire Gruden, but the NFL forced him to after his incident with players and being caught using racial slurs. Jim Harbaugh is the kind of guy that could work for Mark Davis, bring this program back to relevancy. I think Jim Harbaugh, I think it's a better than 80% chance Jim Harbaugh is back in the NFL after this college season. He used to play for the Bears. He was the quarterback for the Bears back in the day. So he has that connection with the McCaskey family. I think the Raiders would be willing to pay more money than the Bears for Harbaugh to come coach them. So there's that. Both teams are likely going to have rookie quarterbacks in 2024. I believe the Bears will move off Justin Fields. And Vegas is not going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, and I don't think Aiden O'Connell is going to be the guy that they want. Harbaugh's coaching in college. He's get, he's going to be able to see, you know, the Bo Nixes of the world, the, the Drake Mays, the Caleb Williams, the Michael Penix Juniors. He won't be the general manager, but he goes in and goes, hey, I've, I've played against, I've schemed against these players. Let's go make it work. Maybe it's Lincoln Riley in Vegas. Who knows? It's another. I think college coaches are going to be moving to the NFL just based on the success that they're having in college, which is a lot for Michigan and little for USC this year in Lincoln Riley. Now, we still have a lot of year, season left in the NFL for Vegas to make this move. And while you can go, this is signaling a tank, which in a sense it is, Vegas is playing the Giants this weekend. That's a very winnable game, even with a rookie quarterback and Aiden O'Connell. Because the Giants aren't a good team. Their offense has been putrid. Did you watch their game against the Jets last week? 
that wasn't football for Christ's sake. That was just, that was awful. That was disgusting to see. Mark Davis is an interesting guy. He's got the worst hair in the world, and he's got a, a great stadium in Vegas, and he's going to be pissed off because Vegas is hosting the Super Bowl this year, and they're not even going to get close to being in that game. They will be aggressive. They're the worst team in their own division because I think Denver's better than the Raiders. With Sean Payton and everything that happened there, I think they're better than, than Las Vegas. But while it's a, it looks bad because I didn't like I didn't like the time of day that they did it. I don't disagree with the firings that they did. McDaniel's is not the coach that you want running your team in, into the future. You just don't. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the quarterback that's going to lead you to winning. You want to keep Devontae Adams. You don't want him to force himself out. Have a quarterback that will throw the ball to him so he has more than one reception for 11 yards at the end of a game. An offensive coordinator that can scheme one of the best receivers of his generation open. Because while he's under contract, you can demand out and things happen. Stephon Diggs got his way out of Minnesota and it brought him to Buffalo a number of years ago. So it can't happen. It's not just the NBA. Not just James Harden having the ability to just fairy dust and put himself wherever he wants to be. If you bring in a coach that has some pedigree and you draft a quarterback that's pretty good, maybe Devontae Adams goes, you know what, I'll stay in Vegas. Because I'm due 22 and 36 million over the next two years, respectively. Maybe I will stick around. I won't take a pay cut so they can trade me and I'll go somewhere where, you know. Maybe we can build a program here. Interesting days in Vegas. Aiden O'Connell, new QB1. Another quarterback shakeup. Desmond Ritter, the former starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, was benched on Sunday in a loss to the Tennessee Titans. Arthur Smith came out yesterday and announced that my my boy, my guy, the Green Lizard, Taylor Heineke, will be the starter for the Atlanta Falcons when they play the Minnesota Vikings. This weekend. So Ritter, really his first year as a starter, put on the bench. The veteran Taylor Heineke comes in. This is Arthur Smith doing two things. Giving his team the best chance to win, and he's fighting for his job. He is in his, he's in his third season as a head coach, and they did not come close to making the playoffs in his first two. He needs the Falcons to win the NFC South and make the playoffs. They are tied for the division lead with the New Orleans Saints. Desmond Ritter is a turnover machine. Desmond Ritter is younger, and you know what Taylor Heineke is, while Ritter potentially could get better. 
But while you develop Ritter and you go through the growing pains, the coach that will benefit from that is the next one. Well, Arthur Smith gets the pink slip and he's unemployed. This is a job preservation move. Keep me. Heineke, help me. I've seen what you did in Washington. You got that team to the playoffs. You nearly beat Tom Brady in Tampa. Can you help this team? We're playing a Vikings team who normally would be massive favorites against us, but Kirk D. Cousins had surgery on his uh, torn Achilles yesterday, and he's done for the season. He's not walking through that door. Jaron Hall, a rookie fifth rounder, is walking through that door who's never made an NFL start. With Heineke, we turn the ball over, we give the ball to Bijan Robinson, we find our skill players. I like our chances. To me, Ritter, Heineke, Heineke was the better quarterback from day one, but they go with the younger guy. The Green Lizard was bound to start games in the league this year, and he is back. I'm happy for the Green Lizard. You might think, why do I call him the Green Lizard? He used to have a coach in college that called him the Green Lizard. And I like it, and I'm sticking to it. The Green Lizard, Taylor Heineke. We'll be under center for the Falcons on Sunday afternoon. Thursday night football this evening. Tennessee Titans, Pittsburgh Steelers. Ryan Tannehill still banged up. Will Levis will be making his second career start. Short week, obviously, for both teams, but Levis first start, then you go and play on a Thursday. Kenny Pickett was banged up on the on uh, Sunday, took a massive hit to that shoulder, but he is playing tonight. Steelers are a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. No Minka Fitzpatrick for the Steelers. Steelers are four and three. Titans are three and four. The Steelers can't put up points. They just don't do it, but they find a way to win close games when Kenny Pickett can finish them. Will Levis has a great first game, four touchdown passes, three to DeAndre Hopkins, and you go, okay. He's going to revert back to the norm. He's going to have himself maybe just an average game. Weird on Thursday nights. Crazy things happen. Pittsburgh's not an easy environment to play in, so a tough call for for Will Levis tonight. This is a tough one to predict for me because I love the Steelers' defense. Their offense is just offensive. You look at what Matt Canada does and how they scheme, and it's just it's so hard to watch. DeAndre Hopkins likely going up against rookie Joey Porter Jr. tonight, who's been very good for the Steelers at corner. That middle of that defense will have some holes. You'll get TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith, Larry Owen Joby, 
You think it'll be a big night for this Steelers defense? I hate betting on Thursday games because I, I just think the games are weird. For some reason, it's screaming to me, Titans. The line's 36 and a half, the over-under. It's not a big number. I stay away from these games. We're going to talk about the NFL and the college football slate of games tomorrow because it's Friday. But I'd take the under tonight. I don't think you're going to see a lot of points on a Thursday night. I think you're going to see a defensive battle. And I, the Steelers likely win at home, but something to me is just screaming Will Levis has another good game for Tennessee. But I like the under, under 36 and a half tonight. Speaking of college football, quickly. When November comes around, the college football playoff committee comes together and they release a list every Tuesday of the top teams in the nation. Tuesday night comes out. Top four consists of number one, Ohio State, which I think surprised some people, didn't surprise me. Because is Ohio State the best team? No. But they have the best resume to this point. Beat Notre Dame. You beat Penn State, two teams that are ranked inside the top 12. Where Georgia has beaten really nobody of significance. Nobody that is in the top 20. Michigan, same thing. Florida State has beaten Clemson, but they're now 4-4, four and four, so that's not that impressive a win. You nearly lose to Boston College. You beat Duke, but Duke got shelled against Louisville over the weekend. So Ohio State at number one does make sense. Are they better than Georgia and Michigan? No. My biggest gripe with this is Florida State being above Washington. The Washington Huskies beat Oregon, who are number six. Washington's five, Oregon is six. So if five beats six and Florida State has beaten LSU, who has two losses, Oregon has one, which is still an impressive win, but it's not as impressive as Washington's, and you beat a Duke team with a healthy Riley Leonard, you probably would have lost. You nearly lost to Boston College. You won a games by, you know, by the skin of your teeth. Washington plays in the Pac-12, which is a tougher conference. To me, Washington should be number four and Florida State should be five. I'm not sure Washington wins out the rest of their schedule because I think Oregon's a better team than Washington. I think Oregon's a better team than Florida State. I think Oregon is better than Ohio State. I think Oregon's the third best team in the country, but they lost to Washington on that day on the road. If they can win out the rest of their schedule, if Washington can beat USC this weekend and maybe have one loss, they'll rematch in the Pac-12 title game. I think Oregon will win that game, and with one loss, they will go to the college football playoff. 
I firmly believe that because they are what just they have a quarterback that's played the most games in college history in Bo Nix, an experienced group, a good coach in Dan Lanning. They have everything that you'd want in a football team. Looking ahead, Ohio State has to play Michigan. So somebody's going to lose that game. I think Georgia's a lock, and I think Michigan's a lock, because I don't think either team's going to lose a game down the stretch. Georgia has Missouri this weekend. That's a difficult test. We'll talk about that line tomorrow. It's their, by far their toughest game of the season, and I think Missouri's pretty good, but I don't think they're going to win. I, I don't think Missouri's going to beat them. Michigan has to play Penn State, and they have to play Ohio State. I think they beat both of those teams. I think they're more physical than both than those teams. You could argue they have a better quarterback than both of those teams now with J.J. McCarthy getting better week after week. So to me, Georgia and Michigan will be in the college football playoff because they are going to be undefeated. Ohio State will likely have one loss. Florida State, they have some games where I look at it and go, do they survive it? Can they continue to win? The rest of their schedule. They're at Pitt this weekend, which is basically a bye week. They host the University of Miami, who've had their ups and downs, but I think that's a tough game. They then get North Alabama, which is a cupcake. And they go to play Florida, a rivalry game. That's a pretty easy schedule to end the year. Really easy, honestly. To me, the, the scary game for them is Miami. But they very well could go undefeated in the regular season. They go to the ACC title game and they play Louisville. Louisville's got one loss, potentially. Florida State might be in just based off their schedule, and if you're undefeated, you're going to get in. So Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, that leaves Washington or Oregon and Ohio State with one loss. I think Oregon's better than Ohio State. They just are. Now, will they get that respect? Will they be put in Ohio, over Ohio State? Who the hell knows? To me, if you make a title game, you deserve more respect, you deserve more credence than teams that don't, but yet Ohio State got in last year not having played in the Big Ten title game as the number four seed. Losing in the Big 12 title uh, in the in the Pac 12 title game hurt USC, oddly enough. Helped Ohio State get in. Now crazy things can happen. There are losses you don't expect in college. But a lot of teams in their second last game of the year get a cupcake. They always do it in, in the SEC in particular. But Ohio State at Rutgers, who are surprisingly good at 6-2, and two, but I don't see that being an issue. Michigan State, who stink. Host Minnesota, who can't score. And then you finish at Michigan. I don't think they lose a game before Michigan. Michigan schedule, I talked about the Penn State game. So 
Michigan hosts Purdue at Penn State, at Maryland, host Ohio State. So that you have two two teams inside the top 10 to end your season, but I don't think they'll have trouble with either of them. More Ohio State, that game might be closer, but I don't think the Penn State game will be close because I just think they're better than them. Oregon. Host Cal. Host USC. At Arizona State. Host Oregon State to end the year. That's a a tougher schedule because the Pac-12 is a tougher conference than the Big Ten. Hard to believe, but it is this year. Tough sledding for Washington and Oregon. They'll probably be left out again, which pisses me off. We'll talk about college tomorrow and the spreads and what it's looking like going into the weekend. The Texas Rangers won their first World Series in franchise history last night. Defeating the Arizona Diamondbacks by a 5-0 score, winning the series four games to one. In really one of the most uneventful, forgetful World Series in recent memory, Rangers scored, in game four, Rangers scored five runs in the second, winning that game 11-7. The game was over. I watched the first couple innings, and I said, okay, this is over. Last night, Zach Gallon's pitching a gym, gets into the sixth, and they give up some runs. Rangers add some insurance, and it was over just like that. Corey Seager gets another ring after winning one with the Dodgers, but this one really is a real one. This one's made a real goal, not knockoff, the COVID-60 game one. Jacob deGrom has a ring, even though he didn't pitch. Scherzer gets ring number two to tie him with his friend, air quotes, Justin Verlander. Seager was phenomenal. Simeon came to play in games four and games five. The pitching held up. Nathan Avaldi. To me, if, you, if you're looking at a postseason MVP for the Rangers, it's Evaldi. Seager obviously got... World Series MVP because he was great. But they just crushed the Diamondbacks. They spent a lot of money hoping to get to this point, and they they get over the hump. Arizona, a Cinderella team, it falls short for them. A great season for Torrey Lovello and a lot of those guys, Corbin Carroll, a rookie, Christian Walker, Gabriel Moreno in his first big league year, Loris Gurriel Jr., Nothing nothing to be ashamed about. They battled hard all season long. And now we get ready for an offseason with Shohei Otani and what's he gonna do? Looking at the top free agents. Heading into this summer, you have Shohei Otani, Marcus Stroman. Javi Baez, Joey Votto, Ryu, Clayton Kershaw, Chuck uh, Peterson, Lance Lynn, Bellinger, interesting name to watch, 
Brandon Crawford in San Francisco. Eduardo Rodriguez, formerly with the Detroit Tigers. Josh Hader, one of the best closers in the game. Also in San Diego. You have the guy who's probably going to win the National League Cy Young in Blake Snell. So Josh Hader and, and Blake Snell are available. I don't think San Diego's going to be able to keep both because they don't want too much money. Sonny Gray in Minnesota, who's a very who's a damn good pitcher. Jordan Montgomery, who just won a World Series. He just augmented his value. Craig Kimbrell. Some lesser names as you get down towards the bottom, of course. Michael Lorenzen, he was solid for the Phillies through a no-hitter this season. Max Kepler, formerly at Minnesota. Carlos Santana, the ages veteran, who will pick him up, a contender. Wade Miley, who even at the age of 37, has pitched really well for the Milwaukee Brewers the last couple of years and the Cincinnati Reds. So it'll be a lot to figure out. I think Otani will set the benchmark, see what his contract is, see where he goes, and then everything else will fall where it may. Still a lot of managers that need to be hired, and front offices have to figure out what they want to do with their payrolls, what the Mets want to do moving forward. Do they want to compete? Do they want to have a soft tank, have an off year, as they've described it? Are we going to press? What 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 is the identity of our team? Where do we want to go? Toronto Blue Jays, are you going to bring back Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermeyer, any of these veterans, are, are they coming back? The New York Yankees. Aaron Judge is our captain. Great, we have him. Stanton can run one mile an hour. Our pitching is a complete abomination. What are we doing? You don't trade, you don't change the manager. You don't change... The general manager. A lot to be decided. A lot of money to be given out. And Texas can just smile and go, hey, we won the World Series as a wildcard team. Nobody expected us to get here. Bruce Bochy gets his fourth ring. Three with San Francisco, one with Texas. He's never lost a win-or-go-home game in his career as a manager. Which is, I think he's 6-0 and in those games. The Texas Rangers went 11-0 and on the road in the postseason. Which is a Major League Baseball record. They had an incredible run. The Braves, an awesome regular season. The Rays, the Baltimore Orioles, but ultimately it's the Texas Rangers. And Texas gets a champion. It's been a minute because the Cowboys weren't exactly helping the cause. And Corey Seager was given a pile of money to come play for Texas after leaving the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was worth the money because he was one of the best players. I think he's going to win the American League MVP runner-up in the regular season, and he won. He just won World Series MVP. 
So he was damn good all year long. But I'm curious to see the bidding war for Shohei Otani and what teams get involved. Does Seattle get a pitch? Does San Francisco make a pitch? The Dodgers, does he go back to the Angels? If Otani leaves the Angels, what does Mike Trout want to do with his future? Does he want, does he want to stay there all the while knowing that you're gonna, not going to be competitive and you have no chance of winning a World Series or even making the playoffs the next couple of years? So a lot to figure out moving forward here in the baseball world. Also, the NBA in-season tournament starts tomorrow, if you cared. Which, I'm going to try to like, I'm going to try to, it's, it's got a lot of European soccer feel to it. Where Inter-Miami can win a, a, a some cup in the middle of a season, but they miss the playoffs, which to me just doesn't make any sense. Just sounds foreign. We won this little trophy, but our team itself in our league that we play in couldn't make the playoffs. Just kind of hooey. But it starts tomorrow, and I'm going to try to get excited. About, not, I hate the word excited. I'm going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to try to be optimistic about the in-season tournament. We'll see. But there's games, and there's a final in Vegas. and Anyway, it's going to happen. Hopefully Jimmy Butler and a lot of these guys that load manage actually play. Jimmy Butler should play because the Miami Heat are one and four in their first five. And the Memphis Grizzlies are 0 and five, and they look rough in their first five. My Pacers got crushed last night. 155 points going up to the Celtics. But hey, you can't win them all. Can't win them all. Chet Holmgren looks good. And OKC lost to give it that. Pelicans Thunder game. That was entertaining. That was good basketball last night. Lakers Clippers wasn't bad either. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk about the lines for all these NFL games and over the weekend. We had a game in Frankfurt, Germany, Sunday morning. Get up. Be ready for that one. Look at the college football slate. We will react to tonight's Thursday night football game between the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll talk about some NHL with a loaded schedule tonight, and we'll even talk about the NBA in-season tournament going into the weekend. So that's all coming tomorrow on, on a Friday. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. I'm Noah Warren, and this is To The Point.